If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Great passage of Scripture and one that we should always keep in mind. When things don't go our way, when we don't understand what's going on in life, um, this is a good passage to go to. Isaiah 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Great passage of Scripture. God's thoughts are so much greater than ours, aren't they? I want to talk to you today, kind of a strange subject, but I want to talk to you today about losing your mind. (laughs) And I know that that sounds crazy, pun intended, but I think when we're done, we'll understand that it is important that every one of us lose our mind in order that we might have the mind of Christ, so that we can begin to think like him. Mark Twain said, out of all the things I have lost, I miss my mind the most. You ever had that feeling? Uh, I misplace a lot of things. There are times, aren't there, when you come to church. Have you ever had one of those times you come to church, you hear a message, and while you're listening to the message, you think to yourself, I know someone that should have been here today. That message was just for them. Well, today, since we're talking about losing your mind, you'll probably leave here saying, I know somebody that did not need to be here today because they have already lost their mind. Uh, But stick with me today, as crazy as it sounds. We need to lose our minds and replace them with the mind of Christ. The truth is, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we become new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away, he says, and all things become new. And that includes the way that we think. As believers, we ought to think differently than we did before we knew Christ. That we now have put away our old ways of thinking and we develop new ways of thinking. Everything changes as a Christian, including the way we think. In the book of Acts, there's a passage where Paul, the apostle, is being, has been arrested. And he comes before Herod Agrippa, King Agrippa, and he gives his defense to the king. And the chief executive officer of the kingdom is there, Festus. And and as he gives his defense to the king, Festus interrupts him. And he accuses Paul of having lost his mind. Acts 26 says this, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, and so he kind of shouts, he's lost his patience. He says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking truth and rational words. And as I read that this week, I got to thinking, you know, that is really not much different than the culture and the society we live in today. If you and I go about thinking the way God wants us to think, and if we go about putting forth truth and rational things like Paul did There are going to be those in this world that look at us and say, you are out of your mind. In fact, some of you are faithful to God in many ways, and you probably have family members and friends and neighbors that look at you, and they think you have just plumb lost it, that you're at that church all the time, and you're doing things that that you never did before, and they think you're crazy, but you're not. You've just developed the mind of Christ. People who don't know Christ just don't understand the things of God, do they? The Holy Spirit has to be in their life, and unless the Holy Spirit's in our life, we're never going to understand spiritual things. That's why before you came to know Christ as your Savior, you probably listened to sermons and read your Bible and heard people talk about God, but you didn't understand a whole lot of it. When we come to Christ, all of a sudden we have the Holy Spirit in our life, and it's amazing how our eyes begin to be opened. 
and we begin to see things differently. But to understand spiritual things, we have to have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. In other words, the person who has never received Christ, just in their natural state, their natural mind, they don't understand the things of the Spirit. For they are folly to Him. They're foolishness. Without Christ, we look at many folks, look at us and say, they're being foolish. I've had folks talk about church services and, and they'd come and they weren't saved. They didn't know Christ and they'd leave and I'd follow up and go visit them. And I had one fellow in particular that said, I just don't understand why you people do what you do. And I said, what do you mean? He says, everybody just sings and everybody's happy and everybody has a good time. He says, I just stand there and I don't get it. I said, you will accept Christ as your savior Get the Holy Spirit in your life, and all of a sudden, you'll understand what they're singing about. You'll understand what they're happy about. You'll understand what they're shouting about. We have to have the mind of Christ, and until then, everything is folly. He says this, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The, spirit, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. He says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He says, but we have the mind of Christ. So really this morning, losing your mind isn't a bad thing as long as you replace it with the mind of Christ, okay? I'm not advocating that you go nuts here today, but I am saying it's a good idea for us to, to ask God to give us the mind of Christ, to change the way that we think, to change the way we evaluate situations in our life. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about some things about our thoughts and the way that we think. And the very first thing is this, the way I think impacts my life. You realize that, that just the way you think has a huge impact on your life. You ever been around someone that always had negative thoughts? And they probably had negative thoughts because they had negative things happen in their life. But it's one of those things where which came first, the chicken or the egg? I'm not quite sure the negative thoughts came first or the negative actions came first. If we go around thinking bad all the time, life's going to be bad. I think that we as Christians need to begin to think differently because the way we think impacts our life. Marcus Aurelius said, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. It really is a wise statement. There's an ancient proverb, I believe it was a Chinese proverb, that said this, and listen carefully what he says. He says, be careful of your thoughts, for your thoughts become your words. Be careful of your words, for your words become your actions. Be careful of your actions, for your actions become your habits. Be careful of your habits, for your habits become your character. And finally, he says, be careful of your character, for your character becomes your destiny. It all begins with the way that we think. And that is why it is so important that we as Christians strive to have the mind of Christ. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 4. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And I know that he uses the word heart there, but in the Bible many times they talk about as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so you could interchange mind right there as a, that we should guard our hearts or guard our minds because from those flow everything in life. Guard it, protect it, watch over it because your thoughts have an impact on your life. Negative thoughts lead to a negative life. Henry Ford said this, and this has always been one of my favorite quotes about uh, the ability to do things. He said, whether you, can, whether you think you can or think you can't, 
Either way, you're right. And that's something we ought to teach our kids, amen? And it's not just the negative, positive, pessimist, optimist thing in the way that our thoughts impact our life, but the way that we think also impacts our moral behavior. That the way that we act out begins in our hearts. It begins in our minds. Matthew, Jesus said this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jesus says that these evil actions flow from the mouth, but they have their origin in our hearts. That's where they begin. If we just change the actions of a person and the heart remains the same or the mind remains the same, the evilness is still there and eventually it will work its way out. But when God comes into our life and he saves us and he gives us a new heart, he makes us to think differently, all of a sudden our life changes immensely. If we're struggling with sin, if we're struggling with things that we know don't need to be in our life, Maybe rather than just trying to stop those things, we need to get on our knees and say, God, help me to think differently. Help me to look at people differently. Help me to to look at your word differently. God, give me a new mind instead of this old one that gets me in so much trouble. The second thing about our thoughts is this. The way I think reveals my true identity. People can say all sorts of things, but you never really know what they're thinking, right? Those are the scariest of all people, the ones that can look you in the face with one eye and tell you something, but in their heart, deep down inside, they're thinking another. Some of you know that I have a phobia of spiders. Spiders are the worst thing that God ever created. In fact, I I wonder if they even existed until after the fall of man. But I hate spiders. And one day, Kathy asked me because she has to protect me from spiders. When there's a spider, I scream, she comes, she squashes. And she is so brave. She'll squash those things with her bare feet, and I just don't understand. But she said, why are you so afraid of spiders? And I said, because they're so small that you can't see the expressions on their face. And so you never know what they're thinking. You don't know if they're mad. You don't know if they're angry. You don't know if they're going to bite you because you can't tell by looking at their face. The reality is, You and I can't tell a whole lot about anybody by looking at their face. The way we think reveals what our true identity is. So if we could look into someone's heart, we'd know what they're really all about, wouldn't we? Proverbs 23, 6 and 7 says this, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you but his heart is not with you. The King James reads this way, and I think it reads better. He says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. And so Solomon tells us that we could, we, if we could look into the heart of a person, we would know what they're really thinking and what they're really all about. He warns about listening to the words of a greedy man in this passage of Scripture. And he tells us that even though he might be telling you eat and drink, deep down in his heart, in his thoughts, he's thinking something else. So our hearts or our minds are very important, and our thoughts reveal our true identity. We need to be careful about the things we think. 
We need to be careful about just listening to folks' words, but really examine their thoughts. And we need to ask God to examine ours. A third thing about our thoughts that is so important is this. And if you get anything out of this message, I think this would be the most important thing, is that there is a spiritual battle to control our minds. If our thoughts are that important, if our thoughts will impact our life, both in the way that we think negatively and positively and in our morals, if our thoughts are this important, mark it down, there's a spiritual battle going on for the control of your mind. 2 Corinthians says this in chapter 10. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And then he says this, And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The apostle tells us a lot there. And one of the main things he says there is that there are these arguments and lofty opinions which sometimes raise up against the knowledge of God. In other words, there are people who think a certain way, and it is in opposition to God. There are people who have their opinions, he said, and they have arguments, and they have cases to present against the knowledge of God. And he tells us that there are strongholds that we need to tear down. That in other words, there's a battle going on for our mind. That Satan wants to control our mind just as much as God wants to change our mind. And he tells us also this, though that we're to take every thought captive to obey Christ. One of the most important things that we can learn is not to let our thoughts control us, but instead learn to control our thoughts. If we did everything we think, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? In fact, sometimes if we did anything we thought, we might end up in the slammer, amen? Just because a thought crosses your mind does not mean that it belongs there. And it certainly doesn't mean we should just go with it. Since I'm thinking it, let's just do it. I've had people at times say, well, it's okay for me to think something as long as I don't say it or do it. But be very careful with that because God knows your words and your actions before they ever come out of your life. Jesus had said that it came from the heart. And not only that, if we allow those thoughts to exist, we give Satan a foothold into our life. If we think about something long enough, it can captivate us. It can take over our lives. So there's a battle going on. Every day, your mind and mine is under attack by Satan. Think about the ways that he attacks you. Is it in the morning? Is it during the work day? Is it in the evening? He attacks. And maybe he attacks with the words that someone else speaks into your life. Maybe he attacks you by something you're watching on the television or listening to on the radio. Maybe Satan uses the literature that you read to attack you. But Satan will attack us, and he does it often. And according to the verse, we can have victory over that because he says we have weapons of warfare that are spiritual. Those weapons are things like the Word of God. If I want to make sure I win the battle for my mind, I need to spend time in God's Word every day. That is one of the weapons of their warfare. In fact, in Ephesians, he calls it the sword of the Spirit. 
This is God's weapon for us. Prayer is one of the spiritual things that we have that can give us victory over our thought life. Fellowship with other believers is an important weapon that we have against the enemy. Sometimes when our thoughts are going crazy and we're, we're having all kinds of thoughts that we shouldn't have, one of the best things we could do is get around the right type of people. Because there are people in this world that will tell you, well, if you're thinking it, go ahead and do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Listen, the ones that will steer you in that direction are not your true friends. But your fellowship can be a weapon for you. And the Holy Spirit can be something, someone that gives us victory in our lives, in this battle for the mind. And so the question asks is, are you preparing for spiritual battle? And I'd suggest you do it every morning. Because I think that the devil is waiting for you right beside your car in the morning. You get up, you have your coffee, you have your breakfast, you head out, and he just hops in the car with you, doesn't he? He heads off to work with you, and and he's talking to you the whole way there. And he even gets to work, and he goes and sits in your boss's chair. No, he doesn't do that. But he is after you. Get up and get ready for battle. Get ready for battle. And all day long, keep your spiritual weapons close at hand. Don't ever get too far from your Bible. Take it with you. Carry it with you. Don't ever wait till the end of the day to talk to God. Talk to Him throughout the day. Anytime you get an opportunity, dear God, I need you right now. Dear God, give me victory over this right now. And know this, that the Holy Spirit is with you every step of the way. A fourth thing that we need to know about our thoughts is this. Learning to meditate on God's Word leads me to victory. Learning to meditate on God's word leads me to victory. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is taking over the nation of Israel. Moses has died, and he has given some instruction. It says in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And we read through that, and we've read through it so many times, and we understand that the Word of God and reading it and doing it is so important, but he also uses the phrase there not just to do the Word of, the, uh, Word of God, but he says to meditate on it day and night. Sometimes when we hear the word meditate, we have some strange thoughts, don't we? I mean, if we really practice meditation the way the world views meditation, I'd be in trouble because I could never get in some of those twisted pretzel positions they get in. I seen someone doing yoga the other day, and it looked really painful. And we think of people that are giving that om sound. And we think of that as meditation. In fact, we equate many times the word meditation to transcendental meditation, some type of Eastern religion, something that we should not have anything to do with. But when you begin to go through God's word, you begin to see that he uses this phrase that we are to meditate on God's word. He uses it often. In Psalms 119, he says it several times that we're to meditate on the precepts of God, on the goodness of God, on the things of God, that we're to meditate on those things. And so we need to learn to meditate on God's word. J.I. Packer said this about meditation. He said, meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways 
and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. When we talk about meditating on God's Word, we're talking about more than just opening up your Bible and reading a chapter and then putting it on the shelf and going on about your day. When we talk about meditating on God's Word, it means we ponder it. We think about it. We repeat it to ourselves throughout the day. It is there for us to be thinking about and chewing on all the time. In fact, one author described meditation in scriptural sense as being like a cow that chews its cud. And they describe how a cow will eat that grass and he'll put it in his mouth and and he'll chew that cud and and he'll bring it down into his stomach and the acids will go in there and it will begin to dissolve and it'll pull all the nutrients that it can out of that grass. And then you know, as gross as it sounds, the cow will burp that up and he'll eat some more grass along with it and he'll go through the same process again, squeezing even more nutrients out of the very same grass that he'd already eaten. And that's what we do when we meditate, is we take God's Word in, we squeeze it for all that we can get out of it, and then we do it again and again and again, constantly thinking. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said this, Remember that it is not hasty reading, but serious meditation on holy and heavenly truths, which makes them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. He said, it is not the mere touching of the flower by the bee which gathers honey, but her abiding for a time on the flower which draws out the sweet. It is not he who reads the most, but he who meditates the most, who will prove to be the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. There's nothing wrong with us having a reading plan for God's Word. In fact, many of us set out every year to attempt to read through the Bible, in an entire, in a, the entire Bible in a year. And that's a lofty goal and a worthwhile goal. But when we meditate, we're not so much concerned with how much of it we bring in, but we're concerned with getting the very most out of what we bring in. That maybe we do better at times to read one verse in our morning devotions and just think about it. Meditate on it. Put it into our own words. Maybe write it down. Maybe write it down in our own language. Maybe put our own name into that. But just to take it and get as much as we can out of that portion of Scripture. And so we need to meditate on God's Word. Fifth, thinking more of others and less of myself makes me more like Christ. And so one of the things with our thought life is to begin to think of others more than we think of ourselves. And we're really good at thinking about ourselves, aren't we? That just comes natural to us. Philippians says this about the mind of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, he says, by being of the same mind. And so he wants us as believers to have the same mind. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that seems a little bit impossible. How can we get all this group of people together and all have the same mind and be in accord and agree on anything? We can't agree on hardly anything. And yet, Paul says we're to have the same mind. And it may be that we sit here sometimes and we look and we say, if I've got to have the same mind as that person, I'm finding another person to sit next to in church next week. But he says, have the same mind. How do we do that? 
he begins to expound on what that means. He says this in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's what our mind is to be like. But in humility, we're to count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. Now that is changing the way that we naturally think, isn't it? And then in verse 5, he gives us the big possibility, the big way that we know we can be of the same mind. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we come to Christ, we lose our minds and we take on the mind of Christ. When you get up from prayer, having accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get up with a new heart, a new outlook on life, a new mind, a new way of thinking. And it is not different than anyone else in here. You have received the mind of Christ. He describes Christ in his mind this way. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Wouldn't that be a way for us to begin thinking? That we would empty ourselves and become servants? If Christ did, surely we can. If the King of kings and Lord of lords poured himself out and was a servant, we follow in his steps. He says, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then in 9, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our thought life, we should be thinking of others more than ourselves, and that will have a huge impact on every area of our life. I was talking to a couple just last week, and they were having some struggles, some issues. And in the midst of that, you know, there was just, it's always this way with couples. There is this loggerhead, if you will. And you say, you need to forgive. Well, I'm, what if I forgive and they don't forgive? And you say, you need to talk to your mate a little nicer. Well, what if I'm nicer and they're not nicer back? You say, you need to give in a little. Well, what if I give in a little and they don't give in? And so we have this conflict within us. And the only way that we can overcome that is when we get on the same page, right? When we begin to have the same mind, which is the mind of Christ. And really, he gives us uh, this wonderful assurance in in verse 9 there. He says, once we've taken on the mind of Christ, and once we've thought more about the other person than ourselves, and we've emptied ourselves, and we have become a servant and we've humbled ourselves, and we have become obedient, do you notice what he says God did for Christ? It says, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. See, I'm convinced that if we have the mind of Christ and we remain humble, we don't ever have to worry about a thing because God at the right time will exalt us and lift us up. That's the way he promises. In In number six, he tells us this. We're to learn carefully to evaluate our thoughts. Learn carefully to evaluate your thoughts. If you will, think about the things you think about, if that makes any sense. In Philippians, Paul said this, 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in it, if there is anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. And so really, Paul gives us a list of things that we should think about through the day. And in essence, what he's given us is a little checklist so that we can test our thoughts. Those thoughts that come across our mind, we need to put those to the test. Is the thing that I'm thinking now true? Is it honest? Is what I'm thinking about honorable? Is it something that that I wouldn't mind anybody knowing that I'm thinking about? You ever had those thoughts? And while you're having them, you're thinking, thank goodness people can't read minds. Is what I'm thinking about honorable? Is it something I'd want others to know that I'm thinking? Is it just? And by that he means, is it fair to the other person? My thoughts, are they fair, not just to me, but to the other person? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they admirable? Is this a thought that I could be proud of? Is it virtuous? And is it worthy to be praised? It's a test for your thought life. Learn to evaluate the things we think and think about. And if they don't measure up, get rid of them. Get rid of them. Kneel in prayer and say, God, take that thing away from me. God, remove it, because that is spiritual warfare that's going on, just like we talked about. God, give me the victory right now over this thought. But ultimately this morning, the only way to really change my life is to allow God or Christ to change my mind or my heart. You see, we can practice all sorts of things, trying to change the way we think, trying to change our attitudes. You ever ran across somebody with a bad attitude and tried to fix it for them? It's difficult. If, if it's even possible. The only way that we can change is to have Christ really change us. In Romans 12, verse 2, the apostle writes, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be shaped by this world. Amen. How many of us realize that that's a pretty big task right there? That's a big assignment. When we begin to examine our lives from time to time... Sadly, we realize that we are being shaped by the world in certain ways. That we're thinking certain ways that we shouldn't think. But we often don't feel guilty of it. We don't feel conviction of it because everyone around us is thinking the same way. It just becomes second nature to us, and that's a problem. We cannot allow the world to conform us or shape us. And he says this, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Amplified Version reads this way, do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed or changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. That's a command from Scripture for us. Don't be shaped by the world, but allow our lives to be changed by allowing God to transform our minds, to change the way we think. Listen, if you're here today and you need change in your life, it happens when you submit your mind or your thoughts to Christ. 
if things are going on that, that you really want to see change, if you're not headed down the right path, if there's problems at home, if your problems inside you, the turmoil within you, and you want change, it begins when you say, Christ, here I am. Change me. Because if I can have Christ change me, it'll change everything in my life. It'll change everything. If it's a marriage issue, sometimes we say, well, God needs to change my mate too. Well, maybe he does. But he can change your home life just by changing one of you. And if we wait for the other to change, it may never happen. But if we would give our lives to Christ, he'd change us, and that would change our outlook on everything. Our ideals, he says. Our attitudes, he says. We need this, don't we? This change. Let me read to you a passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, and I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. He says this, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, this morning, what we need more than anything else is for God's Holy Spirit to come in and change us. If we're a person who has never received Christ, we need to begin that process. It could start today by just surrendering our life to Him and leave here a new creature, a new person. But I'd suggest to you this morning that even as Christians sometimes, maybe we've served God a long time, but our attitudes change, don't they? Our ideals change. And it may be that we have been squeezed into this form or this shape that the world has pushed on us. And maybe we need to push back and say, no, God, you change me. You make me what you want me to be. God, I surrender my heart to you, and I want you to have control of my life. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Father, I pray that there's...